where we left off last time, we're, we're kind of in this second cycle of seven things, right? So uh, in the first cycle, we saw the, the seven seals being broken. And in this cycle, we're getting to see the seven trumpets uh, being blown by the seven angels. And what I like to tell people is what you're seeing in chapters 8 and 9 are not, it's not something new, right? It's repetitive. But it's the second cycle. And so what you see is as time goes on, as God measures it, the impact of what he's doing on the earth and the impact of what he's doing in people's lives escalates, okay? So I told, I told Ann last night, I said, living in the last times, there's one job I really would not want to have, and that's to, to be in the insurance business. Because when you read these words today, it's a very bad business to be in. And I used to tell my friends that. They'd be like, they'd be like oh, well, we've got, you know, we've got these mathematicians. They figure all this stuff out. I said, they need to read this book. Because uh, I'm just telling you, as time goes forward and we get closer to the end, the, the, the severity of what God is doing in this world is, is going to show itself more and more and more. And we certainly uh, see that as this second cycle begins to occur and these trumpets are being blown. Okay? We've looked at several of them. Um, the, first, the first trumpet that gets blown, if you remember with me, um, on verse number seven, uh, brought hail and fire mixed with blood thrown upon the earth. And the words that were important for us to catch last time we met were these. A third of the trees were burned up. A third of the earth was burned up. All the green grass was burned up. All right. So what we're, what we're getting always in the revelation are pictures, word pictures that represent some, some physical realities that have occurred are occurring and will occur as we move towards the end time, all right? So this is God, remember, who's hurling this upon the earth. And we look at it, we're like, God, why would you do this? Well, the intention of it is to do what? Is to break the stubborn will of men and bring people to a reliance upon Jesus Christ. The third is important because it, it represents uh, an increase on God's part in the intensity of his work of trying to break human beings' stubborn spirits. Uh, when we were back in chapter 6, remember opening up the, the seven seals? Every time a seal would be broken and something would happen on earth, a fourth of the earth would be affected. Now when you get to chapters 8 and 9, it's a third of the earth. And the significance is, again, as we continue to move forward to the end of time, God's work is going to intensify. The impact of burning up trees and burning up grass, burning up nat what, what we would call just our natural ecosystem, is it, it does impact the whole of our, our atmosphere and what we need to regulate life here on Earth. Okay? So when your ecosystem begins to be affected, um, and you're living in Nebraska, and you like to make a living by farming, uh, guess what happens? You're impacted, okay? If you're just a human being trying to live on planet Earth, you are impacted as the ecosystem is affected. We already see signs of this today. You know, from time to time, scientists will say, well, the whole ecosystem seems to be out of... Whack, it's not working the way that it needs to work. 
what I like to say is, hang on, because it's going to get worse. You, you will see some catastrophes that God will cause to happen on earth that will affect the ecosystem in a more and more significant way. The second angel blows his trumpet, and now what's affected is the sea. And we hear the same words, a third of the living creatures of the sea die. Think about what many, many people in our world today live on. Fish, seafood, you're affecting people's ability to just have basic food, right? The second thing is the sea becomes blood. Um, what we're saying is there's a lot of death inside of the sea. And as a result of that, um, not only are the living creatures affected, but the trade industry is being affected. And remember, when this is being written, the primary way that you got produce and your goods from place to place was through the sea. When the sea is being affected, your trade and economy is being affected. And so what God is saying is, I'm going to disrupt that. I'm going to disrupt your trade and economy. I'm just reviewing now. Verse number 9, the third of the living creatures, excuse me, verse number 10, the third angel blew his trumpet, and this one's kind of an interesting one, a great star fell from heaven blazing like a torch, fell upon a third of the rivers and springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood. Many people died from the water because it had been made not just bitter, but the word would be poisonous. Right Now what's happening is the, the water, basic necessity for life, is being impacted by God. Right? And it's actually killing people. Again, this is not new. Remember when we looked at the black horse? He had the scales in his hand. And guess what? The scales were out of balance. Remember what was on one side? Luxury items. Oil. Right? Don't need it to live. But we got plenty of it. On the other side, your natural resources, the stuff you need to live, not enough of it. Wheat and barley. And so what God is, do is saying is the very basic necessities, inclusive of even your water that you drink, will be impacted as you move further and further into the end times. We just see little bits of that now. Right? Got a friend, friend right now in... Uh, California's in San Francisco. Uh, Gary Dunker, he's a pastor in Lincoln. And uh, so he, he sent me a note uh, when he was in California. He says, hey, I'm in, I'm in California, and man, is it dry here. Is a drought. And I'm like, well, there's not a drought in Lincoln. I said, we've got too much water. That's what we're talking about. The whole of the natural resources get way out of whack and ultimately become... Um, uh, damaged by God himself. The purpose of all of this is to draw people back to himself. Okay. Now, verse number 12. New. The fourth angel blew his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck. A third of the moon, a third of the stars, so that a third of their light might be darkened, and a third of the day might be kept from shining, and likewise a third of the night. Okay? You know, when you're a little kid, you're growing up, and every day you get up and you look up in the sky, and there's the sunshine. And you really don't even think about it. You don't, 
There's nothing in your mind that, that you get out of bed and say, hey, I wonder if the sun will be there or not. You just get up and there's the sunshine, right? And then some, one day, you go off to school and somebody asks this question. What is the sun? As a little kid, you're like, hmm. You know, I never really thought about that. My parents told me not to look at it. And I haven't really looked at it much. I don't know what it is. And then they'd take out some, of course, nowadays you use, back when I was a kid, they had to use like stick figures and pictures and stuff. This is when the dinosaurs were still, you know. <laughs> nowadays they have those that you just show, you know, the video shows and all, but they show the video and here's what the sun is. You know, this, this series of nuclear explosions. What causes it to hang in the air? It's dense, it's heavy. What makes it hang in the air? Okay. How does it keep going? And then somebody asks you this question. Could it ever run out? And as a little kid, you're like, what? The sun run out? The sun can't run out. And then one day you start reading some scientific reports that start talking about the sun actually running out. And you go, hmm, scientists are talking about the sun actually losing some of its energy, its power. And then you read the effect of that upon the earth. Is it very significant? You think Nebraska winters are cold now? You need to buy a bigger snowblower, right? Because guess what? You start affecting the sun's capacity. Now guess what? Ecosystem, trade industry, basic necessities, climate. Guess what's happened in the world? There is nothing that's stable anymore. And guess what else there is? There is nothing you can do about it. The water's killing us. What should we do about it? Well, maybe we should filter it or figure out what we can do with it. No, I'm telling you, like massive quantities of water are killing us. The sun is losing its power. What do we do? No answer, right? Our trade industry is upside down. What do we do? What's God doing? He's slowly taking away from men all the things that we just kind of build our lives upon and count on, and he's saying, you, guess what? You've always thought you're God? You live that way. You get up in the morning, my day, my calendar, my schedule, my... Guess what? None of it is yours. Not one drop of it. And, and, the, and to live in a healthy way is to wake up in the morning and to say, the sun might not be there tomorrow. It's a gift of God. Today belongs to God, not to me. I've prepared my calendar, God, but guess what? If you have something else in mind, it's all yours. Because God is just calling us to live in a way that recognizes that he is God in our lives. And we are here for this short, short period of time to help take this gospel and bring it to other people and share with them this reality. This world is broken. Don't, don't make your home here. Heaven is not our home. Our earth is not our home. Heaven is our home. And guess what? There's going to be a time when all of this gets restored. But until that time, more and more God's just going to pull out from underneath you, pull out from underneath you, pull out from underneath you. And all of a sudden, the climate, the ecosystem, the trade industry all begins to spin upside down and human beings cry out and say, what are we going to do? The purpose of it is what? To bring people to a place where they rely upon Jesus Christ. That's the purpose of it all. Okay.
Now, 13 marks a significant, significant moment, so I want you to catch this. It says, then I looked, and I heard an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead. Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on earth at the blasts of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. Okay? Now, in case you missed that, that's not good news. All right? I kind of like the way that this describes it, uh, and, and I'm going to correct... I always hate to do this, but I'm going to correct some of the English in this particular translation. I don't know how your translation reads, but mine says, Then I looked and I heard an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead. Okay? The actual term that's being used here is mesouranas. Meso is the middle of. So you would say in between the heavens and the earth, separating the two. So if you could see heaven and you see earth, in between that is this eagle who's flying. All right? The significance of, of that, I believe, is that when you, think of, when you think of who Jesus Christ is, he is the mediator between God and man. The intention of this voice, the eagle voice, is to do what? Is to proclaim woe to man because of what's getting ready to happen. But the purpose of the woe, again, is to bring people back to Jesus Christ. And so I like that it just says it the way it does, that right in between the heavens and the earth flies this eagle. Now, two thoughts on the eagle. Thought one, first thought is, why an eagle? Eagles are what? They're birds of prey. I know there are American bird, and partly because they are good at finding their prey and capturing it, right? We use that idiom in our English language. Uh, eagle eye. Why? Because they can see that fish and bam, down they go and they grab it. So this eagle is representing the fact that God is getting ready to act in a way that has prey to it. He's coming after the world. Okay. Second thought on the word eagle. Kind of a side note, if you will. When we, when we talk about the representations of the different gospel writers, Remember you go back to Revelation where we saw seated in the heavens these creatures that have four faces. One of those faces is an eagle face. Over the course of history, that eagle face has always been associated with the apostle, which one? John, the guy writing this book. And so in a sense, you have this idea that here you are, John, in between the heavens and the earth, issuing forth this woe to mankind. The word itself is kind of an interesting word. Um, it's the strongest, strongest Greek word that you can possibly use to get someone's attention is ouai. Okay? So uh, if I said to you, to a little child, little child goes to the cookie, cookie jar, starts to put the hand in the cookie jar, I'd be like this. In Greek, I would say, ooh. Ooh. No. Okay, now the little kid kind of pulls back and looks around. Then I get busy over here, and so she sneaks back in there, and he gets the hand a little bit further in the cookie jar, and I look back, and I go, ook, ook. Ook is a little bit different than ooh, right? It's kind of like, you remember your mother's voice. You know what, you know what her words mean. It's like, it's like, Luke, no. 
Luther Clark Biggs? Uh-oh. <laughs> I know what that means. That's bad. Finally, that hand goes all the way in the jar. It's ooh-ah. Now it's woe. Now it is, this will cause you disaster. This will be disastrous for you. Okay? So in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, three. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three. Woe. In the name of the Father, woe. The eagle cries out. In the name of the Son, woe. The eagle cries out. In the name of the Holy Spirit, woe. The eagle cries out. What, what is the writer saying? He's saying, Something significant is getting ready to happen. And this verse marks a significant transition. Something is getting ready to change between the first four trumpets that blow and the last three trumpets that blow. And the angel simply says it this way, Woe to those who remain upon the earth that you have to endure the blasts of the trumpets of the last three angels. What is getting ready to change? Here's the change, all right? Most of what we've seen here, happening here, has been occurring in the realm of what we would call nature. God controls nature. He can take the sun and turn it on. He can take the sun and turn it off. He can take the water and turn it on. He can take the water and turn it off, right? He can cause the trees to burn, the grass to burn. He has the switch, all in nature. We're impacted as we live upon this broken planet with all of these things. But there's another realm to our life. And it's one that I have to say a lot of people just don't even think about. But I encourage Christians all the time, think about this realm. There is a spiritual dimension that exists around us at all times. We can't see them, except at times we experience them. And so the conversation that I had yesterday, it's a beautiful conversation with a gentleman whose brother went to heaven. And I love what he told me. And he's able to say to me, just before my brother went, he sat up and he reached his hands up like that. And we asked the question, you think there's angels in the room? So one of my greatest privileges as a pastor has been able hundreds of times to be in that room where you can't see them with your eyes but you've experienced people who will literally say to you can you see them do you see them no I don't see them and they see them and they're angels and I've always told people that if, if you could just you know somebody said what, what, what would it be like if you could just hold this switch in your hand and all the switch did was turn on the ability for people to see the spiritual world around them. And what if for one minute you just went, tsh, and all of a sudden everyone in this room went, Ooh. what you would see are angels. Some of them belong to the Sabbath army. They're God's angels. They fight for you. Some of them are demons. They're demonic. They intend to do what? What that picture looks like. Destroy you. And if for one minute you could see that, if you could just turn it on worldwide for that one minute, 
I believe it would just change so many people. It would be like, what have I got to do to not get killed by that thing right there, right? But we don't see it. And so we go on in our lives, and Hollywood brings us stories about ghosts and weird stuff, and I'm like, wow, we're missing the whole of it, okay? What starts to happen in these last four trumpet blows is this transition from God acting in the natural realm to now God acting in the supernatural realm. We're going to see the release of demons upon this earth in a way that has not ever been experienced before. I kind of want to set this up for you by actually taking you back for a minute. Go back to chapter 7, verse number 1. I'm going to show you what's going on in the natural realm, and I want to use that to build a bridge over into what we're going to read about the supernatural realm. Okay? Chapter 7, verse number 1. Just remember these words. This is, this is the ceiling of the 144,000. And remember when we got into this chapter, we said, here's what God is doing, is God, throughout this, this last time period, he's giving to us this gift of faith. The Spirit of God, who lives within you, is your seal. All right? What does that seal do for you? Well, it doesn't protect you from demons in the sense that they have the ability to do what? To deceive you. They do have that ability. They have the ability to follow you and watch you. They cannot read your minds. It's always good news to me that I, I thank God you can't see what's going on in my mind. But they've been on this earth for thousands of years. They know how to read you. They watch for your vulnerabilities. And they seek to deceive you where those vulnerabilities exist. Here's what they cannot do. They cannot possess you. They can't possess you. Nor can they kill you, right? All of that is under the authority of Jesus Christ. He has said, I limit the powers of the demons, okay? He has sealed us, and that gives us the limitation. Now, in the physical realm, note, notice how this works. Verse number 1 of chapter 7. Remember these words? It says, After this I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, that no wind might blow on earth or sea or against any tree. Okay. This is prior to the, the sealing of, of the faithful. What I want you to see is that in the physical realm, what God has been doing and is doing is he's been holding back under his authority he says, I'm only going to allow so much to happen. When you get to chapters 8 and 9 that we're in and we read these next trumpet blows, guess what's happening? God is loosening, loosening that hold. He's now allowing more and more to happen to planet Earth. Okay? Now make the jump. The exact same thing is true in the demonic world. Every demon, Satan inclusive, are under the authority of Jesus Christ, they are being held back. Does a demon want to kill me? Yes. Absolutely. Can it? No. Why? Under Jesus' authority, not allowed to. Okay. Um, can a demon kill anyone on planet Earth? No. Remember the story of Joe? The devil says, I want to test this guy. And God uh, authorizes him to do that. And uh, he says to him, here's the one thing that I will not allow you to do. You can't kill him. 
can't take his life. No demon can kill any person outside of the authority of Jesus Christ and under his authority. Even people outside of the faith right now today can't be killed by a demon. Now, they can be possessed. But what I want you to see is that there's this, there's this loosening that's getting ready to happen in the spiritual world. And, and so a, a demon can't kill someone today, but they can possess them. And when you study the, the, the um, incidents of possession in the New Testament, one of the things you'll always see is that the, the demon-possessed person becomes physically harmful to themselves and to other people. All right? So you'll see them chopping themselves with stones, cutting themselves. Um, I don't want to say this in a wrong way, but when somebody comes to me and they say, hey, so-and-so is, is cutting themselves. I, I oftentimes, I don't want to say that this is true in every case, but I, I, as a pastor, I pull back and I'm like, that's not good. Because in the New Testament, that is very common, that chopping of myself, my own container. A possessed person may choose to kill themselves, but the demon can't kill them, if that makes sense. We're getting ready to see something that has never been seen in all of human history. When God unleashes that, authority and allows demons to kill people now we're in the last time and that's what we're getting ready to see that's the significance of this eagle that's in mid-heaven he's saying whoa 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 he's now taking us to that very last period in history where we get to see the demons released and for me these are my favorite symbols critters i like to call them in all of the book of revelation take a look at them Let's jump into chapter number 9, verse 1. The fifth angel blew his trumpet, and I saw a star fallen from heaven to earth. He was given the key to the shaft of the abyss, the bottomless pit. He opened the shaft of the bottomless pit, and from the shaft rose smoke like the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened with the smoke of the shaft. Then just the very next words. Then from the smoke came locusts on the earth. Stop there for a minute. Who is this star that has the key to the bottomless pit? That would be without end bottomless. It's hell. Who has the key to hell? Well, actually... Jesus Christ has the key to hell. Not Satan. That it's locked up means that the authority of demons is under God's authority. Now guess what God does? Come on over here. Star that's been fallen. Here's the key. Something you really don't want to be alive to see. Because now Satan has the key to the abyss, to unlock it. And as he does, the smoke from hell comes forth. And out of that smoke come what are called locusts. They are demons. Okay. We are now beginning to see the unleashing of God's authority over those demons on planet Earth. All right? Luke uh, is the gospel writer who in chapter 10, just look at this verse, kind of describes this fallen star. 
And uh, lest anyone doubt who we're talking about here, uh, in chapter 10, uh, verse number 18, uh, in his gospel, this is what, this is what Luke is talking about. Um, remember the 72 appointed disciples have gone out in Jesus' name and they come back and they're reporting in and they're being able to say, look at verse 17, even the demons are subject, are subject to us in your name. See, um, this is why uh, my, my mentor, Dr. Brighton, so clearly has said to, to someone like me, do not ever try to exercise, perform an exorcism, uh, apart from being surrounded by men and women of God and knowing that the only authority that you have is the name of Jesus Christ. You have no authority. If you are in the demonic realm and a demon, a demon senses you're coming under your own authority as though you can cast it out, Pastor Brighton would say to me, it will kick your butt. <laughs> you're toast. Don't do it. So... Um, I have actually been a part of seeking to exercise a demon from an individual and, uh, and finding it to be something a lot more difficult than I ever believed it would be. Here you have these 72 coming back, and they're kind of giddy almost. They're like, wow, guess what? These demons are subject to us under your name. So uh, look at what... Look at what uh, uh, Jesus says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. This is the fallen star. Behold, I have given you authority to tread upon serpents and scorpions. Keep those two words in mind because as we look at these demons, some of them will have scorpion tails, some of them will have serpent tails. The sting of the scorpion, the bite of the serpent, are related to what? The power that demons have in our lives. Okay, so pay attention to that. He says, I have also given you power over the enemy so that nothing may hurt you. That's the sealing of those who have faith. He says to them, nevertheless, don't rejoice in this. It's not about you being able to overcome the enemy in my name. But here's what you rejoice in. Be rejoiced. Rejoice simply in the fact that your names are written in heaven. Go out as my servants, serve under my authority, and under my authority even the demons will be subject to you. By the way, this is that scripture that so many um, cultish churches have picked up and made a mess of. Um, we've all seen it on television where you know, you'll see a church service where they reach in and they grab out rattlesnakes and they're, wee, die, die. rattlesnakes are biting them. And then every once in a while, some guy dies, you know. And the people are like, well, you just didn't have enough faith. Who's next? <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, no, not me, right? This is not what it's talking about, not go pick up snakes or walk across a bed of scorpions. It's talking about what, what demons want to do for us, okay? So point being, what Luke is saying to us is Jesus has told his disciples, I've seen this star that's fallen, this like lightning to the earth. It is Satan himself who now has been giving the key to the bottomless abyss and opens it up and here come these locusts. Go back to verse number three, chapter nine. They were given power 
like the power of scorpions on earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree. Okay? Just make this note. These are the reason that you read an apocalyptic piece of literature as apocalyptic or symbolic is because it's that. It is simple. Locusts come and what do they eat? Plants and green things. These aren't locusts. These are demons. Okay? I've always told my evangelical friends, I've got some evangelical friends, they're like, you Lutherans don't read Revelation right. You've got to read it literally. So we do read it literally. The way that you read a parable literally is how? As a parable. The way you read apocalyptic literature literally is as apocalyptic literature. That's a literal reading of it. If you try to turn this into something that's not, you're going to end up with a weird deal because now you're all of a sudden going to have locusts flying around with scorpion tails and man's faces and women's hair and lion's teeth and breastplates of iron. you got weird-looking bugs trying to fly around, right? These are not bugs. These are demons. And they have the same power as the scorpion. We're going to come back to that in just a minute. He says they were given not to harm the grass or... Those who have the seal of God upon their foreheads. But instead, what were they allowed to do? Verse number five, they were allowed to torment them, people without the seal, people now outside of faith. These demons are allowed to torment. Okay? I looked at the Greek verb underneath that. It's kind of an interesting word to me. and It, it caught my attention for a particular reason. The word is to toss about. Like a, you ever see, we've got a little puppy dog and he'll grab his toys and he's just, just tossing about. I want you to take, take the ground they're standing upon and I want you just to turn it completely upside down. Toss it upside down. I always think about people who said, I, I had a hard time sleeping last night, I tossed about. I'm like, well, there's another kind of tossing about that's worse yet. It's when demons come and they take what you're standing on and they begin to toss you about like you're a toy. They torment you. And they torment them for a period of what? Five months. Why five months? That's important. Five is half of ten. Ten is a perfect number. It's Yahweh's number. If you measured as a period of time, you'd always say ten is a perfect period of time. Five is half of that time. The significance of it is when you measure time by God's watch, not by man's. Here's the way God tells time. There was a time, Old Testament, and a time right now. The period of time we're living in right now is the what is called in Greek ion, ionios, that will lead up to and a half a time than the end. That's how God tells time. When we baptize a child, and we take the water, and we baptize you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and we turn to Matthew chapter um, 28, and we look at Jesus' command to baptize. Remember what he said. Go make disciples of all nations. Question, how do we do that? Baptizing them. How do I make a disciple? You can't. Only the Spirit can't. Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you until the end of what? Ionios. Time. 
not the way you measure it, but the way God measures it. I will be always with you to the end of half a time. The end. That's how God's measuring it. So that five-month period is indicating <clears throat> that we're now entering into that time frame that will take us to the, to the end. My, my belief today, just based upon observation, what we see happening, we're not in it yet. It's coming. This is the unleashing now of demon power upon earth by God. And they look like the picture of them is this locust with this scorpion tail that is tormenting people, tossing the very things that they stand upon. Notice verse number six, to what effect? And in those days, people will seek death and not find it. They'll long to die, but death will flee from them. Closest I have come to that in my experiences is working with meth addicts. And it's not untypical that they've stolen money from their families and their families have had to just say, look, we can't see you again. And they've hurt every person that they've come into contact with so that they're desperately alone. And in many cases, they're living off of, I mean, they lose their work and so they're living off of trash and garbage. And so desperate for that next hit of meth that they would say to me, I just want to die. just want to die. But I can't die. Death eludes them. And uh, <clears throat> when you see what's going on is, is demons are involved. And their objective is to bring you to that place where you want to die, but you can't. And um, so what he's saying to us is, is that is, is what will come. Now, I'm just going to show you the appearance and we'll close. He says, in the appearance, the locusts were like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were what looked like crowns of gold, were kings. We're the rulers. Satan always masquerades as the leader. Their faces were like human faces. Their hair was like a woman's hair. Their teeth like a lion's teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron. And the noise of their wings was like the noise of many chariots with horses rushing into battle. They have tails and sting like scorpions. And their power to hurt people for five months is in their sting. Okay. How many of you have ever been stung by a scorpion? Never forget it? Me either. Um, when a scorpion stings you, it injects some poison into you. The poison will typically not kill you unless you're, you're older. You may have an immune system that's not functioning as well. Could kill you. Or younger, little baby. Can get killed by a scorpion. What you'll always remember about the scorpion sting, you'll remember exactly where you were and exactly how it got you. Right? Um, interesting that this this word scorpion appears in one of the most oft-used verses of the Bible when we preside over a funeral. The scorpion is there. We'll look at this next week. But in the 15th chapter of Corinthians, St. Paul teaches us how demons sting you. And he does it clearly. We'll come around that verse and I'll show it to you so that you can see exactly how the demons are coming against people. 
up until this point in time, this is the first releasing, the first releasing of demons. And I hate to tell you this, but the two afterwards are worse yet. Let's pray.